0: If you have a Bible, you can open it to Psalm chapter 16, or you can read along on the screen, or if you have an app or whatever you prefer. Uh, this week, uh, we're not finishing the whole series, uh, but, but we're coming to the last of the eight emotions. And we're going to be talking about gladness today, which for some of us may seem like, oh, that's the easy one, but I think we'll see. It, it may be... Uh, oh. honest acceptance of all of these emotions that we have, and not deny them, not stuff them, not numb them, and then actually still live in relationships with one another where we don't go crazy. Because if you're like me, that's a question that arises. Well, if everybody all of a sudden just owns all this stuff and opens up about it, then how how do we survive that together? How do we exist in relationships to where that's just not so overwhelming that after we try it for a little while, we're like, hey, let's just go back to keeping it on the surface. And so that's what we're going to try to take some time next week to think about. But I do want to review these and uh, in- invite you right now, just as we do, to-, to identify before the Lord where you're at right now in this moment. So look at this list and just bring, bring it to God's attention. He knows it, but just before him, bring it, bring it to attention. All right, now just say to him a little bit about why you're feeling that. What's behind one or more of those feelings? Now just maybe this morning ask him to bring to mind a scripture or a promise or a reality. From the gospel that he would say to where you're at right now. All right, thank you for doing that. I just, I, mean, I want to encourage us that this become a regular practice of us, not just running in and out, kind of, of of engaging with God's word, but to actually be present. We'll go to the next slide. We'll see that we talked about each of these and how each of these emotions. Have, or feelings have a gift, and so anger gives us the gift of passion. Hurt can lead us to the gift of healing and courage. Loneliness into the gift of intimacy. Sadness into the gift of acceptance. Fear into the gift of faith and wisdom. Shame into the gift of humility. Guilt into the gift of freedom. And we'll see today that the, gift, the feeling of being glad can lead us to the gift of joy with sadness. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you, God, that our feelings are are not the ultimate reality, but you are. We thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your grace. And we pray today as we look to your word, Spirit, that you might enlighten the eyes of our heart, that we might see what is true. We might know what is true. We might feel what is true. We might live what is true for the glory of God. In his name we pray, amen. Well, I mentioned this a little last week, but in all of these emotions, there's a, there's a bit and really probably in every sermon, if you don't know this about pastors, there's a kind of a large degree of hypocrisy that you just have to live with as you get up to preach about these things. But uh, I'd like to think hypocrisy is, is not just that you live inconsistently, but hypocrisy is that you live in denial that you live inconsistently. And so hopefully that just, if that doesn't relieve anybody else, it relieves me. So I'm not trying to live in a denial, but this week, even as I prepared this message and I begin to feel the stress of wanting to do it well and feeling stresses of other things, as I've told you before, a temptation for me is just to go to, to, to the internet, to go to YouTube. And so I came across this video, this dumb video, this dumb skit with Will Ferrell in it being on who wants to be a millionaire. So some of you guys in here may be a little too young to know who wants to be a millionaire, Maybe you've watched Slumdog Millionaire. Maybe that's, that's closer. But if, if you don't know this, just imagine game shows where you have the ability to start making a small amount of money, like say $100 if you get the right answer on the first question, and then as you go forward, you have the opportunity to, to make millions of dollars. Well, the ridiculousness of this skit was as he walks up to the stand, the, everybody's cheering, he sits across from, from Regis or someone playing Regis, which will date some of us as well, knowing who he is, and And he answers his first question. He wins $100. And then they ask just kind of the perfunctory question. You know they're going to say yes. Do you want to play or do you want to go home? And he's like, I think I'll go home. I'm just going to take my $100 and leave. And the guy's like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, $100. That's a lot of money where I come from. I can do a lot with that. And then all of a sudden the crowd starts to boo because this is kind of like ruining the experience. And then the like skit was over, and that was it. And I thought, well, as ridiculous as that is, if somebody was watching my life story, or imagine somebody was watching your life story, where you were pushing in all the chips on the joy and gladness and satisfaction of your life. Would they see somebody who's wagering it all to experience the fullness of the joy of the Lord? Or would they see a life that's lived saying, I think I'll just play it safe. And take kind of just this little, measly experience and go home. I just want to invite you right now, what do you see? Imagine yourself looking at your life. Imagine somebody else watching the story of your life. Do they see somebody playing it safe with satisfaction? Or do they see somebody going all in for an experience of the joy of the glory of God? I would wager to say we're all, at least in some ways, if not in great ways, playing it fatally safe with satisfaction, with happiness, with joy, with gladness. Now, that doesn't mean we're not pursuing it. But we have our so-called safe little satisfactions, our gladness gods, our gladness gospels, our weak gladnesses, but they're not safe. If we could just step back from it for a second and look in on our lives looking on our worlds, looking on our stories, we would see that these pinprick pleasures are sinister. They're sickening in some of the scenes that we might watch. And I believe they are satanic if we look deep enough. Because from the very beginning in the garden is God saying, I offer you life to the full in me. And the enemy sneaks in and says, God is holding out on you. He doesn't want you to experience life to the full. He's a mean, evil, withholding tyrant. And if you really want to enjoy life, you're going to have to break free from His ways. You're going to have to worship yourself. You're going to have to find other things to worship to find your worth in. And it was fatal then and it's fatal today. Whether it's drugs, pornography, control, approval, comfort, performance... Success or just that dopamine hit you get off Facebook or YouTube or Instagram or Snapchat. We're settling for so little that God has designed all of us in here for more, not less. God does not want us to live our lives escaping ourselves into emptiness. God does not want us to deny our hearts so that we can just make it through the day. We think we're playing it safe, but the cost of denying our hearts and souls of facing reality on its own terms before a God who is greater is denying ourselves of real life. And for many people, maybe even some in this room, denying us of an eternal life with God. Because we might believe that He can save us, but we've not yet believed He can satisfy us. And that may very well be the difference between the real and a false gospel. That's why the religious south is full of people claiming to be Christians, but very few people who are enjoying a daily life-giving relationship with Jesus. We've signed up to get out of hell, but we've not found the God of whom Psalm 16 speaks. We've not met with the Jesus who offers us water that will satisfy the deep well of our heart. And this is what gladness is about. Our secondary resource in this voice of the heart and say thank you to Jeff Schulte, my friend who's came up with this study. I'd encourage you all to do voice of the heart Bible study. He says gladness is about desiring deeply and having a willingness to walk through pain in the pursuit of desire. There's a cost to being glad. Because those other gods and those other gospels and those other gladnesses that take from us more than they give, we're about to see, they've got to die. Reality has to be faced if redemption is to be enjoyed. And gladness will only grow when we live, learn to live wholehearted lives given to God. I want to say that again. Gladness, real biblical. God giving, fulfillment, joy, will only grow when we learn to live wholehearted lives given to God. So how, does, how do we do that? The first thing is, to grow in gladness, we must, we must acknowledge the, that these few, false gods that we're trusting in really give us fatal or futile fixes. That's all they are. In verses 1 through 3, we see David here beginning giving this uh, prescript, a mictam of David. Now, there's always kind of debate on what these liturgical terms that David uses mean. But many people believe because this word, miktam, or however you want to pronounce it better than me, is associated with kind of a lot of Psalms that are in negative or bad situations for David. So David here is, is giving Psalm 16 in the backdrop, most likely, of a time of peril. Now this is where false gods are always coming at us the hardest. It's when the pressure is on. When we're coming up against that crosswords. I mentioned before in some type of addiction studies they talked about HALT being hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Here comes the enemy. Here comes the world. Here comes the flesh. Here comes the devil. And they're offering you a fix. They're offering you something to numb you. They're offering you something to distract you. But what they want you to do is to deny how you feel and deny telling the truth about how you feel and coming to God for His care. And so David cries out to God, though, that He is His refuge. And crying out to God from this place of need, David is acknowledging that there must have been alternative refuges in the face of whatever is threatening to him. Verse 2, he says to the Lord, you are my Lord. As he's saying to Yahweh, you are my master, you are my sovereign. I have no good apart from you. But he's declaring that again when this backdrop against the fact that there are other lords. There are other offerings of good. But he is saying, I have no good apart from you. It's not like I'm going to dabble over here with this idolatry and then come to you. No, there's no good apart from you. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. Again, the alternative is is there's other places to go and find fellowship. There's other gods that other people serve. And people tend to congregate, not just Christians, but everybody in the world. If you look out into the, the world of idolatry, people congregate around what they believe is going to give their life worth Or to give them an escape. Everyone in the world is a worshiper. And everyone in the world is a part of some type of church. They have some type of community. And they say "We, we find our unity in the fact that we seek our life from this substance, this source, or this success. But there's a revelation behind all of this that we see. In verse 4. David exposes what is going on here. As he says in this verse. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. What is David saying is we, you run to these other gods. And they give you something in the moment. That helps you escape. That helps you numb. That helps you deal But they always take more than they give. They always make things worse. Your sorrows are multiplied. And this is the sinister trick. Is as they multiply your sorrows, then they become more essential in your life. So the more guilt they can cause you, the more shame, the more fear, the more loneliness, the more hurt. The more than you need them to deal with that. So you go deeper into whatever that idolatry is, that addiction is, that false worship is. And you find yourself enslaved. You never meant to. So David isn't going to spill blood for them, he says. And this happens. Whether you're thinking in literal terms back then of, I'm going to offer the sacrifice of a goat to this foreign fertility god. Or this foreign God that promises me rain. That all of us in here make sacrifices for whatever God it is that we serve. If you serve the God of approval. If we watch the story of your life. We can see how you are sacrificing being honest. You are sacrificing who you are. You're sacrificing your integrity. So that you can get someone else to say they're pleased. If it's control, you are probably sacrificing relationships. You're sacrificing hurting people so that you can have that God. If it's performance, if it's comfort, we could go on and on down the line. There are people who sacrifice having their children so that they can use drugs. There are people, though, who sacrifice their children so they can do better at work. But everyone in here, whatever God you're serving... What, what God's word through his spirit wants to do is he wants to show us kind of just this hideous nature of it. We are worshiping gods who take more from us than we give. And we are actually sacrifice, offering sacrifices unto them. But David says, I won't do that. I won't even dignify their names on my lips." Different studies have been done. And you can go research this, the TED Talks and psychiatric-type journals, of, of the way like addiction works. And, they, and one picture of this is, is they put this like rat in this cage or this aquarium-type thing, and they've got a bottle of water here, and then they've got a bottle here that's laced with either heroin or cocaine. I can't remember which one that it is. And if you leave, you leave that rat alone in there long enough, and he, and he begins to get the taste of that drug, instead of going to the water that would give him life, he, he's, he keeps going back to this drug. And then you watch these studies or read about these studies, and you see that eventually this, this mouse or rat that's full of life running around begins to slow down. His health begins to deteriorate. But guess what he keeps doing? He keeps going back to that drug. Because the worse he feels, the, the better it can make him feel, but then the worse it makes him feel. And then the study plays out with guess what? A dead rat. A dead rat. And I hope that you would be thinking right now through the Spirit, I'm not a rat. And you know what? You're not a rat. We're not rats. But we live like rats. Many of us get up each morning and we might not be scrounging the neighborhood for pills, but you're scrounging your life to receive something from some God that is not God. And you've been led to believe that's the only way that you can exist. It's hard for us to even think about this. It's that, it's that classic thing maybe from Aristotle. It's like a fish trying to explain what it feels like to be wet. Is We're trapped in this system of self-protection and self-redemption. It's enslaved us. You're an appearance rat. I've got to make sure I look like this today. You're an approval rat. I've got to make sure I get this being pleased fix A control rat, a pleasure rat, a performance rat. And you get the high from it, but it always leaves you feeling more empty. Never enough. You're going to have to get up tomorrow and do it again. like me sometimes where I know I've ate too much and I'm going to feel bad later but I think well I'm going to feel bad later regardless so why don't I just keep eating more right now because at least I can feel good right now for a little more why not watch one or two more episodes even if I'm dead tired later God's take, take, take God wants us to live as people. But we have to acknowledge this. We've got to say it. We've got to accept it. We've got to receive it. These false gods take more than they give, but they don't own us. We're not rats. We're the redeemed children of God. In our hands, we all hold this device that is almost like carrying a drug dealer around in our pocket. Right, your, your brain has dopamine and in your hand is the deliverance of all that you want. And it taps us on the shoulder through its notifications. And what it tells us is, hey, I've got what you want right now. You don't have to feel whatever you're feeling right now. I can distract you. I can take all that away. We're enslaved by this stimulation and many others. But stimulation is not joy. The revelation behind these false gods is they take. They take. They take your time. They take your time. Time you have with other people. They take time away from your past. and addressing it, the work God wants to do when those feelings arise and he's like yeah I want you to think about what happened in your childhood and you're like oh nope, no thanks I'm going to numb that they take your present your ability to actually be with other people to enjoy life to see a world around you and they will take your future they take your relationships with others with God and with yourself they take our humanity and though we are not rats we, rats, we, we find ourselves like In Pinocchio, they go to Pleasure Island and there's no restraint. But these boys find themselves morphed into donkeys being led off in bars. But what does a life of taking the bait look like if we go into the impairment of gladness? If we deny our hearts and we let other gods satisfy us instead of God, then we will live a life of sensual pleasure without heart. We will live a life of sensual stimulation that denies us the life that God wants us to live. And it will end in empty tragedy. So, what's your God? What does that God give you? But what does that God take? What's that God's gospel? What's that God's good news that it tells you? If you trust in me, then I will give you this. But what's the cost of following that gospel? People will throw away 25 years of marriage for 15 minutes of lust. That may not be the situation you're in, but what's your equivalent? What is the lie? What's the hook behind this bait? you're like me, this calls us to cry out to God. We need help. And so in verses 5 through 8, we see David is not just calling us to acknowledge the the fatal fixes of these false gods, but to grow in gladness to experience a, a fulfilling faithfulness of the true god david here in verses five through eight is exposing how god is better not just truer but better we've said that we have to have this faith experience with god where we see that not only can he save us but that he can satisfy us but we've also got to experience god as not only true news but good news this is not downplaying god saving us at the at the, to, at the emphasis or inordinate emphasis of unsatisfying satisfying us. This is not downplaying that God is true by underlining that God is good. If we know God truly, we will experience God is good. And David is saying here in verse 5 the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup, He holds my lot. That is, David is saying, He's, he's what satisfies me. This is why I choose Him over the other gods. He is a supreme satisfier. These are very sensual words, not in a negative sense, but that like God actually fulfills my life. God actually gives me joy. God is actually not just a theory to be studied or a subject to be dissected. He is a person who provides me with the deepest pleasures that this world could be imagined. Can do this because he is not only supreme in giving us gladness, but he is sovereign in his glory. He holds our lot. He, he knows what we need, when we need it. David says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now we have to remember, and that's why the prescript is important, is most likely David is not saying this from, from uh his office as king he's saying this most likely maybe from a cave or he's saying this from a a time of deep distress he knows that because God is supreme in his giving of joy and sovereign in his growing of his people that God is giving him something better than a quick fix he's giving him an abiding fulfillment A better inheritance. David has found in God a contentment. That can hold him. When everything in life is falling apart. David can experience joy with sadness. David is experiencing here what the apostle Paul will later say. I am sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Something that no other God can give. So, not only is God the better portion and cup and inheritance, but verse 7 he gives the better counsel. David says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. It's that the wisdom that the Lord gives is a wisdom that lives us into safety even in the dark even in the night. That the Word of God is the way to life. The Word of God, the way of God, the presence of God, the person of God will not leave us when things get bad. This is why David says, God, is this better security I will not be shaken. All other gods leave us more shaken, more afraid, more alone, but not the true God. In the study of these rats, this one, one person pointed out and that that if you put this this rats by itself in a cage where there's only like water and cocaine or heroin, then then yeah, most every time the rat will get hooked on the heroin or the cocaine. But but they did a, a further study that I, I think God's word is pointing toward here and That's where our hope is in, is in the word of God, not in this study. That they put this rat in what they called Rat Park. So it was like a a rat's fantasy land. With all the types of foods that this rat would love. With a whole bunch of other rats that this rat could run around with. And do all types of pleasurable things with. And just this, everything that you could imagine. And, and guess what? Supposedly, the study said, still the same bottle of water and same bottle of drugs. Is that now nearly every time the rat chose the water? Tried both of them, but chose the water. Because there was connection, there was more to live for. It wasn't just this empty cage with two options. See, the world, the flesh, and the devil blinds us to the goodness of who God is. So we live as if all we've got is this pain in our hearts. There's nothing for us to live for. There's no reason to try. So we might as well just numb ourselves. We might as well just Follow these other gods that it can at least give us a fix. Because a fix is better than nothing. I mean control, approval, comfort, performance, success, image, substances, relationships, power. It feels like something. But it only feels and looks like something when we don't see the bigger picture of who God is what He's done for us, who He's made us to be through the gospel, and what He's called us to do in this world. You see, what, what the enemy does, the Bible says, is that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they do not see the glory of God in Christ. This is what happens when someone is really born again. is it's not that they make a decision to go to heaven, it's that their eyes are opened to reality. It's that now all of a sudden they see, wow, God is good. Wow, there's more to this world than I ever thought. I have meaning. I am loved. I am called. I am chosen. I am sent out with a purpose. And what the world, the flesh, and the devil want to do to us as believers is to lead us back into that deceptive, defeating way of thinking. deny our hearts because we don't think that we can handle it. We don't think God can handle it. We don't think anyone else can handle it. But what we see here in verses 5 through 8 is that we have a God who is for us, who is with us, who is in us. What we see in Psalm 16 is we have a God who's not asking us to deny our hearts so that we can rejoice. Nor We're being invited by God to actually engage our hearts so that we can experience joy. But if we're going to do this, it's it's going to cost us. We're going to have to hear Jesus saying, Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. But we're going to have to realize denying ourselves is not denying our hearts. It's our pride that is keeping us from pursuing joy to the depths that God wants us to. You're going to have to deny yourself, which is mean you're going to have to say, I am no longer going to run to these other gods to find my joy or my fix to get through this day or this relationship or this situation. We're going to have to repent of being content with gods that take more than they give just because we're used to them and we know that it might work for a little while. We're going to have to repent of a functional theology that believes God may be true, but he's not really that good. We're going to have to repent with a, a living with a willing self-deception. So many of us are living in self-deception. We've agreed, we're lying to ourselves and we've agreed to play along with it. We're refusing our feelings, many of us are, and so we're missing out on the healing that God wants to give us so that we can really be glad. We're going to have to accept the fact that that worshiping these other gods do hurt other people. We're just going to have to expose the lie. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. No, we, we are created for relationship with God and with others. And whenever we worship other gods, you cannot help but it hurt other people in this world. And we're going to have to run to God with all that. We're going to have to fill it all. I know that's scary. But the only way we will ever be glad in God and His joy is we're going to have to fill it all. You've got to have a big God to do this. You're gonna to to fill it all and it feels so counterintuitive. How is that gonna bring me to gladness? It's because all that stuff's gonna to have to get out of your system. You're gonna to have to go through a divine detox of idolatry. And you're gonna probably need some help. You're gonna need some other people. You're gonna to need to say, hey, I'm gonna try this. I need you on emergency call right now. I'm serious. Like doing actually not denying reality anymore is, could be very overwhelming for some of us. And we need each other. We need God and we're going to need some people to help us. We're going to need some people who are on watch. We're going to need to keep some people to say, I know when I start feeling that I'm going to be tempted to run to this substance. I'm going to be tempted to run to pornography. I'm going to be tempted to run to religious activities. Help me. I might need you to come stay with me a few days. We're going to have to run to God with reality. We're going to have to run to God with joy. And we're going to have to understand the gift of gladness is joy with sadness. Some of us set us up for defeat because we don't have a proper theology of of a world, the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Whatever joy that breaks into this world through the Spirit is going to be met with sadness. And we talked about the gift of sadness is acceptance. Because if you're like me, you're kind of enjoying a party or enjoying something, enjoying that food, and not maybe even a good way, but you know in the back of your head this is about to end. And guess what? It is going to end. We can handle that because of God. The voice of the heart says, joy is experienced only as we are willing to face life on its own terms, knowing that this life Is not all there is. That we have a God. Who has given us an inheritance. We're going to have to fill it all. And we're going to have to to fast. fast. I thought this was about gladness. I thought fasting was about sadness. Fasting is about getting in touch. With reality. Fasting is about saying. I'm going to have to dial myself back a little bit and realize I am totally dependent on God and that He can satisfy me. Fasting is about what we talked about last week from Psalm 34.8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Try and experience that the Lord is good. Guess what? Whatever God you're worshiping that you think you've got to have to, to deal with life at an expense of turning from God, just see if you survive without it. See if you survive with someone not liking you if your approval... Approval is your idol. See if you survive if you don't have control of something in your household or who didn't clean the microwave in your dorm room. If they have microwaves in dorm rooms or whatever. See if you survive if somebody else does better than you and you actually rejoice with them. See if you survive on two pieces of pizza instead of six. Just see. See if you survive that. See if God won't be with you. See if you can survive going to the bathroom without your phone. See if you could survive going all Thursday on Thanksgiving without your phone. Fast. Fast. Identify, this is my God. This is the sacrifices it's asking me to make. These are the costs it always ends with. These are the impulses. These are the triggers. And then set a plan. Some big steps, maybe some baby steps. But don't don't just fast from it, but for it, for something, towards God. Set a Bible in your bathroom. Take Thursday, even if your Thanksgiving... Events are being canceled like many are. Put that phone away maybe and sit down and write as long a list as you can think of of things you're grateful for and thankful before the Lord. Set these practices in your life. Identify how God is good, how God's gospel is better, how the gladness that He gives you is great. And be faithful. And fight for it. Start scrounging around for more experience of God's glory and greatness. Not waking up thinking, I've got to grasp control here. I've got to have approval here. I've got to have this substance here. and, and we Try to get yourself amped up by going after God. I'm going to His Word. I need it. I'm going to prayer. I'm going to relationship with someone else who loves Jesus. following Him on the mission of making disciples of other people. Is that not what David is doing through this song? You see, the way that we put these fatal fixes to death is not merely by just saying, this is bad, I know they're bad. It's by, it's by filling our lives with something better. It's by giving ourselves to greater causes, to greater passions. And the promise is, then we will experience a greater pleasure. Verses 9 through 11 tell us this. We finish up. To grow in gladness, we must not only identify and acknowledge these futile and fatal fixes of our false gods, we must not only experience the deep, fulfilling fellowship of God, but we must ask ourselves, which God can secure us in sadness? In the ultimate sadness that will come, we call death. David says in verse 9, Therefore, therefore my heart is glad. Why is his heart glad? What's the therefore, therefore? Because God is sovereign and supreme in giving him everything that he needs to live a life to the full. So David says his whole being rejoices. Not just, You see, what false gods do in these pleasures is they ask us to deny part of who we are so that we can experience some type of joy and pleasure. So I need you to deny your brain right now so you can experience this. Or I need you to deny your heart right now so you experience this. Or I need you to deny your body right now so that you experience this. But the joy that God gives leads to our whole being unified in joy. That's what we were created for. Mind, body, soul, and heart fully experiencing the joy of the Lord. That's where security comes from. And David says that this security not only comes from that deep experience of God and his goodness, but it gives him hope for the future as he looks at a body that will decay and die. But he says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. How committed is God to David's gladness as he will not let death have the last word in his life. He will not let His Holy One see corruption. David will die, but death will not be the end. A rotting corpse will not be the end of God's promises to David. And yet David will die and Israel will be reading this in exile. And they will be wondering, is there any hope? And maybe you will be wondering that today you see so much of the reasons that we live in the moment and we, gla- we grasp to these false gods is because we start to live as if it's all there is I mean in the end we're all going to die might as well just live it up right now I mean my wife loves to save money thank goodness for her or we'd be broke but I'll just whisper this to y'all and hopefully she won't hear me, is I don't want to save a bunch of money for when I'm older and I don't feel like doing anything. I want to go spend it all now while I can still walk and run and enjoy life. I know that's foolishness, but I'm just being honest with you. And it's both and, I know. Correct me later. But the heart behind a lot of the reasons that we don't live generous lives and we worship money, a lot of the reasons that we don't, we don't go all in for Jesus is because deep down we have forgotten about the promise that God has defeated death. Some of us maybe have grown up in churches where they sang about heaven so much you didn't want to ever hear another song about heaven the rest of your life. But if we're not careful, we will, we, will, we will swing the pendulum way too far to the other side. And we will forget that this life is not all that there is. It is a very, very, very small portion of eternity. And God has, is so committed to our pleasure, is He does not want you to just have a day where you get a fix. God wants you to have an, a fulfilled eternity So what did he do? He sent his son Jesus, the great David, to come for us people who want to numb ourselves to the reality of death, who want to numb ourselves to the reality of sadness in this world. And he took it all on us, on himself for us. He bore the sin. He bore the suffering. There may be some of you in here right now who don't think you deserve to be glad. You have a secret life or you've committed sins or things have been done to you and you think I don't deserve to be, have pleasure now or in eternity. Well, God has come for you. He wants to rescue you from the lies of the enemy that would keep you accepting a life of no gladness. It's why Jesus sat with that woman by the well who said, you know, I've been married five times and the man I'm living with now is not my husband. And Jesus didn't say, well, you know what? You deserve to be miserable. Have a nice day. He said, I want to give you water. The water of life. It flows from now into eternity. That's what he's saying to you right now. That's what he said to you, many of you, most of you maybe, and you forgot it. Jesus went into the wilderness and the enemy offered him all of those fatal fixes he offers us every day. But Jesus in our place refused them all so that we might be redeemed. And then he went to a cross and he paid for every time that we have indulged ourselves in denial of who he is. And he rose from the dead so that the reality... Of the joy of the Lord could be experienced even now through the breaking in of the Holy Spirit in our lives, as Peter preached at Pentecost. Do you know what one of the verses he quoted? It's these verses, Psalm sixteen. Peter ended that sermon as we'll end ours this morning with verse eleven. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. More God wants you to be pleased. He makes known to us that path of life. He is the presence of the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And who is it God's right hand? It's Jesus, so the fight for joy has got to be a fight to stay close to Him. We have to live by faith. We have to do what Hebrews 12 says to lay aside sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Wholehearted lives can be lived because we have a Savior who has handled it all and can handle it all. Idolatry, addiction, whatever, along with all impaired gladness is not usually first of all about pleasure seeking. At least it's not in the end. It's about pain management. Can't handle my pain. Nobody else can handle my pain what if someone could? What if someone has? What if he doesn't want you to just not be in pain, but he wants you to experience joy? What if he died and rose so that you could experience? What if he died and rose so that, like we read in Acts chapter 8, when the, the church scattered throughout the cities, the joy increased? Wouldn't that be good news for our neighborhoods? A people who could have joy with sadness, who could celebrate in a world of pain. It will not happen through us unless it first happens in us. The good news is it will happen through us even as it's happening in us. But we've got to embrace the cost. Are you going to go home with a hundred dollar pleasure? Are you going to go all in on an honest experience of the infinite God of glory who offers us the greatest gladness we could imagine? Father, we thank you that you were so committed to our joy more than we are. Thank you, God, that you don't haven't settled for us. We pray now as we come to the table that we would see once again the cost you were willing to embrace so that we might be set free from our enslavement to sin and suffering and Satan, and be set free for life abundantly. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You close your eyes.